If you'd like to um, turn back to our passage in Matthew 7. Just a moment of quiet, really, uh, just before we, um, we start. Um, I was reminded of uh, Hebrews 4, um, where it says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Living Lord Jesus, as we come again to look at your word tonight, we acknowledge that it is living and active. And your words expose our most hidden secrets. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves as you see us and change us to be more in your likeness through the work of your Holy Spirit. So please speak, Lord, tonight to each one of us the things you want us to hear, and may our hearts be ready to listen for your love's sake. Amen. Um, so tonight we continue in our series looking at the Sermon on the Mount as recorded in Matthew's Gospel. Um, now, um, I don't know if anybody of you, of you has read John Stott's commentary in the Bible Speaks today. Anybody pick that one up? It's a good read. I've just bought my second copy of it because my first one has fallen to bits. It was that old. So, um, but, but John Stott speaks um, of the Sermon, to, sermon on the Mount as being a little bit like Christian counterculture. In other words, um, Jesus gives this sort of this teaching as a sort of template that turns upside down all those widely held attitudes and beliefs that were pervasive in his culture, but also probably a bit reflected in ours too. Um, and so the challenge really for us is to what extent are we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, living out that counterculture? How are we distinctive? How are we different from the world around us? Do we act, are we indistinguishable? You know, if anybody looks at us and our lifestyle and the way we behave and what we do, do they really say, there's a follower of Jesus. There's someone who's different. There's distinctive. And that's a real challenge for me. And so 
through this, this Sermon on the Mount. I hope that you have picked up something of that, that challenge as I have. Uh, so tonight we're looking at what this might mean in terms of the way we judge others and view ourselves. Um, and as I've looked and, and thought through these verses, the more I've come to realise that actually we live in a very critical and judgmental world, don't we? Abounding in hypocrisy and self-righteousness. You've only got to, to look at your newspapers um, and the comments on politicians and celebrities and, and how everybody gets really excited when they find a scandal and something that they can expose and, and make the most of. So we do live in incredibly judgmental and really, I would say, hypocritical um, world. Um, but of course, day by day, I too make all those critical judgments of others. And I think, as we, we look around us, we might think um, that we don't, but I think we, we are actually quite critical of one another too. And churches are no different from anywhere else. Um, but, um, but I've also just wanted to highlight just very briefly one or two things where I think it comes to the fore, and one of which is football. Now, there aren't many of us who can sit here who can honestly say that they always agree with the ref's decision, because we don't, do we? And 16,000 Pompey fans can really not be wrong, can they, when they're challenging the ref's decision, particularly against Wickham Wanderers, which was appalling, actually, I have to say. Um, but the other place where, where we pick up that criticism is uh, when we're behind the wheel of a car. Somehow we kind of take on um, a different sort of grumpy old man perspective, and there just so, seem to be so many more appalling drivers than us. So maybe we come to these words of Jesus with just a little bit more fresh realization about how critical we are. Um, but I just wanted to highlight two things that I think Jesus is not talking about here. And I think it's important to get that straight. And I'm so sorry that, that Liz left us because actually I don't think these words are particularly about judging one another in courts of law. I, th I wanted to honour what she said about upholding justice in a really fair and good way, because we need judges who are going to be fair and to uphold the law. And Jesus here isn't talking about the law. He's not talking about the kind of judgments that we make in courts of law. Jesus had a very high view of the law, had a very high view of Old Testament law. And we know throughout the Old Testament, sorry, the New Testament, that, that we are too to reflect that high respect for the, for the law of the land, where it doesn't, of course, conflict with our Christian belief. So there's no reason to suppose that Jesus is suggesting a kind of free-for-all society in which no one administers justice. So that's the first point. And the second thing is that um, Jesus is not suggesting that we shouldn't make sound judgments about things, particularly about behaviours and attitudes that we see around us. Because after all, much of Jesus' teaching was to highlight those things that we should be 
in a sense, that we should have judgment about, um, and, and important to recognize that distinction. So, what are these verses all about? And I'm just going to cover three questions. Firstly, who is judging who? That's the first question. The second question is, what is the mean, what is the measure by which we're we're judged or making those judgments. And the third thing is, if there is a place for correcting one another, how should we do it? So, um, and if there's time, I'll talk about dogs and pigs, but I can't quite guarantee that we'll get there. Um, So first of all, who is judging who? Um, And our understanding of what Jesus means by that very first um, statement um, about not judging others is to look at the context. And we look at the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount as well as Jesus' other teaching. And we can recognize that actually what he's, what he's getting at is a little bit about the prevailing judgmental attitudes in society and particularly the judgmental attitudes of the Um, Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Um, And he talks about them as being hypocritical in chapter 6. So it's not totally out of context to believe that Jesus is actually talking about those kind of attitudes of condemnation. So let's think for a moment of some examples um, in which Pharisees took that kind of judgmental attitude. And we can think of the woman who was caught in adultery. And actually, incidentally, where was the man? Question mark. Um, There was the criticism of the woman who came into the Pharisee's house and who wept and washed Jesus, poured perfume on Jesus' feet and washed him. And she was condemned by the Pharisees. Doesn't Jesus know who this woman is who's touching him? Doesn't he know? that she's a sinful woman. Come on, you're supposed to be a rabbi. Um, And then the man who was born blind, do you remember? Um, Who Jesus healed, the account in John's Gospel. And um, and he he says to the Pharisees, um, you know, don't you understand? I've been, you know, blind from my youth, and now I can see, and yet you say this man doesn't come from God? And the Pharisees turn to him and say, you were steeped in sin from birth, how dare you lecture us? In other words, the stigma of you having been born blind and the implication that you were sinful from birth means that actually you have no right to talk to us. You're, You're beyond the pale. You know, you're of no significance. You're worthless. Um, and then we, we got, uh, get numerous um, occasions where Jesus was uh, criticized for associating with tax collectors and sinners, to which Jesus replies, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've come not to save the righteous, that is to say, those who think they're righteous, but sinners. And then this is par excellence in demonstrated in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, 
And you will remember the tax collector who comes not even looking to God because he acknowledged his sinfulness. And the Pharisee who said, remember what he said? Do you remember what the Pharisee said? God, I thank you that I am not like this man, this tax collector. Um, and, and the introduction in, in the Gospel of Luke to that parable is that Jesus told this parable to those who trusted in their own righteousness. And so, in a sense, I think that's a little bit of the key here, that actually we have to ask the question, in what are we putting our trust? Actually, are we putting our trust in the fact that we're good guys? Or are we putting our, fa- our trust in the fact that we can't, we can't get there? We'll, we'll just look at that again in a moment. But the, but the real problem of the Pharisees judging others what was that they put others beyond redemption, outside God's chosen people. They were, you know, beyond coming back. They've, they were excluded from God's salvation and from um, his people um, for a variety of reasons, because they were tax collectors collaborating with the Romans and therefore traitors to their people and traitors to God's law. Or they were sinners who, who were outcasts from society. Or they were ill, like lepers, who had to be treated as different. So the thing for us is, actually, do we have the same judgmental attitudes towards others? Are there those in society or those who we might look at and think, actually, no, they're, you know, they're beyond redemption, beyond coming back? The truth is that the gospel is for everyone, and we need to just kind of look at ourselves a little bit and think, mm, are we putting some people in society beyond the gospel? Um, Justin Welby has been criticised recently for his um, apology to the gay community over the way that the church has treated them. He's been criticised because it's been felt that it's been too much of a compromise. But actually what he was doing was trying to separate two things. One is um, what our view might be of people's behavior and the views that they might hold and whether we've excluded them as a group of people from the gospel, whether we've actually, because of our attitudes, towards certain people in society that we've actually closed them off from being able to receive the good news of Jesus. Okay, so that was my first point, who's judging who? The second question is, what's the measure we're using uh, when we think about judgment? Um, And in other ways, um, in other words, Uh, These words of Jesus suggest that we're judging others as putting ourselves in the place of God. That is to say, to hold those kind of judgmental attitudes towards others is to put ourselves in the place of the judge, the ultimate judge, God himself. So, if we are having that kind of self-righteous attitude towards each other and towards others, actually, that kind of measure is going to be the same measure that we're applying to ourselves. So, actually, 
Are we looking at ourselves in the same way as we might look to others? Um, If we believe that we're better than others, like the Pharisees, and that allows us to judge, then that same standard will be applied to us. And it's only when we recognize that we stand condemned just as much as anybody else that we understand what Jesus is saying here. If we're judging others by the standards of how well they match up to the standards that God's law requires, we too will be judged by the same standard. And the truth is that none of us get there through our own efforts. That standard is too high for any of us, no matter how hard we try to achieve. And that was the essential error that the Pharisees made. They thought that if they kept absolutely the letter of the law, if they obeyed everything, if they kept every single commandment, that actually they would be justified. They would be all right in God's sight. They'd be beyond condemnation. But the problem was they had a righteousness that depended on themselves and their own ability to achieve it. And that isn't um, possible. The only righteousness, the only rightness with God we can ever have is because we have it through the death of Jesus. It's only through the cross that actually we have that place of righteousness, that place enabling us to stand before the throne of God justified. So I've asked Charling to read from Romans 2, verses 1 to 4, just to give us a, a little snippet of that. Thank you. And, um, and I've asked Stephen to read from the Message Bible, Romans 3.21. Romans 3.21 is a little bit complicated in NIV, but it's put quite well in the Message Bible. Restored us 
Thank you, Stephen. And it's good to be reminded on this Advent Sunday when we're thinking about the second coming of Jesus, um, you know, and just to be reminded, what, what is our confidence for that day? What is our confidence for that day when we come before the Lord and when he comes in his clouds? And the answer is, our confidence in that day doesn't rest in what, how good we've been or how well we've measured up to things. Actually, our only confidence on that day has to be in his amazing grace and what he's done for us on the cross. So as Christians, we've got no right to be self-righteous and to be patting ourselves on the back and thinking what wonderful people we are. Because it's it's a danger in in thinking that. Actually, we just have to look and say we are just the same. The only difference is that we're a saved sinner because we've recognized what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And we stand in this place of grace. Yeah, amazing grace. Okay, so that was the second thing about, you know, what is the measure? So we've got a little bit of grasp of the fact that the measure is that actually none of us can get there. So the third thing is specks and logs. Um, and actually, it's very interesting that, um, that Jesus changes the language a little bit here. Um, and he now talks about brothers. I mean, did you notice that? That actually, um, if you see a speck in your brother's eyes. So actually, this brings us back to, to our close, um, those who are close to us. So family, um, but also church family. Um, And he's not saying there isn't a place for correction here. He's saying there is a place for correction, but be careful how you do it. Look at yourself first. Um, Can anybody tell us what the original meaning of hypocrite is? What it actually means in the Greek? Thank you. Yes, a play actor. You know, crumbs, we're all in danger of doing this, aren't we? (laughs) We're all in danger of being play actors, you know, making a good show, um, you know, and and none of us like to to really be exposed for how awful we are at times. Um, And so that's what the word means. It means means play actor. We have all this tendency to, to keep things hidden and to make a good outward show of things. Um... And so um, it doesn't really need any medical training to understand how completely absurd this is um, when you're trying to take a speck out of somebody's eye when you've got a whacking great log in yours. And, and Jesus is obviously exaggerating hugely here to make the point. Um, and the other thing, so there are two things here. One is that before we actually criticize one another or, or want to correct, um, and that may be quite appropriate, um, one another. Um, actually, we need to look at ourselves. We need to examine ourselves first. But the thing is that when we do that, actually, we see things differently. We may see things quite differently than we did do before we first just kind of stopped and thought, actually, 
you know, what is going on here? And do I need to look at myself first and examine my own attitudes? So we may have disagreement um, about how things should be done. There are going to be hundreds of differences of opinions in church. Sometimes when we're discussing things at PCC, you know, there are as many opinions as there are people sitting around the room to express them. So we can all imagine that things should be done differently. And, and sometimes maybe we need to take a little step back and say, Lord, I don't really agree with what's going on here, but actually, you know, it it's obviously right in, in, in some people's sight, and maybe I just need to take a step back and wait a little bit to see how that's going to pan out, how you're going to work out things. So we need to prayerfully examine ourselves and our own attitudes um, and place them before the, the throne of grace. And bear in mind that prayer and worship changes things, doesn't it? You know, it's why I'm always keen that... Um, that when we start any prayer meeting and we're praying for things or at PCC, actually, once you start to get God's perspective on things, it changes things, doesn't it? Um, I've, uh, Philip Yancey, in his book, described it like going up a mountain, you know, and, and, from, and suddenly seeing things from a, from a different perspective. And sometimes we need to lift ourselves up to see God's perspective on things that completely changes that. Um, before I, I finish, I just want to talk briefly about dogs and pigs um, because it's quite baffling, isn't it, really? What on earth has this got to do um, with what I've been talking about? And what, what on earth um, is Jesus talking about here? And I have to say that commentators have differ, differed a little bit, but I think mostly they agree that when Jesus is talking about holy things and pearls, actually he's referring to the truth of the gospel. He's referring to the things of the kingdom. And we see that in other references. Um, and one that I just, that came to me before the, the service is, is about the, Jesus talks about the kingdom being like a merchant who takes out of his cupboard treasures old and new. Um, and so I think that that's the sense here, that actually the truths of the gospel are sometimes going to be trampled on. Um, and therefore, you know, we need to be a little bit cautious, um, not in terms of, of our desire to share the good news of Jesus, but sometimes recognizing that actually um, we might be, may, it may get trampled on and... and um, and we might find rejection. A bit like Jesus saying about those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Okay, so tonight we've thought a lot about our attitudes to one another and our need to examine ourselves, to acknowledge our need for God's grace. But let's just hone in a little bit about the importance of what Jesus is saying here. And essentially, one of the things is that critical and judgmental attitudes do harm, okay? They do harm to, to us when we harbour those attitudes, and they obviously do harm to others. Now, um, I can think of um, certainly more than one patient, one in person in particular, who I'm sure a lot of her pain, a lot of her emotional struggle, a lot of her 
almost physical illness was because of her unforgiving and critical attitude towards her family that she wouldn't let go of. She would just hold it. And every time she came to see me, that's what she talked about. It was like a, a groove in a record that wouldn't be free. And I'm, I'm sure that that was responsible for a lot of that tension inside her. I'd like to say there was a, you know, a good end to that story. I don't know. There may still be. But one of the things that Wes Sutton shared um, yesterday was the story of a lady with arthritis who had really bent over with her wrists. And as she came to prayer, for prayer, um, there was a little sense that actually she was holding on to, to something. And um, that came by a word of knowledge and, and was just shared whether there was something that she needed to, to get right with somebody. And she said, yes. You know, for the last 20-odd years, she had not spoken to somebody else in the church because she'd held a grudge. And she went and made peace with that lady. She came back for prayer, and those hands were miraculously restored. All that stiffness was gone, was healed. So... These things are important. These things cause hurt and division within families. You know, we're probably all aware of families where people don't talk to each other, aren't we? You know, and how sad that is. And churches, too, hold on to those critical and judgmental attitudes. You know, one of the ministries that ACORN is doing at the moment is with broken, healing broken churches. And quite a lot of it has got to do with healing those cords of dissent and bitterness that people are holding on to. And they can run deep and they can run over a long period of time. Things that we might hold on to. So maybe tonight we just need to acknowledge that and acknowledge our need for unity, our, acknowledge our need to release ourselves from those kind of critical and judgmental attitudes that can be harmful, not just for ourselves, but for our church family. You know, one of the things that I think has come through particularly um, through praying for David um, and through sharing in some of that grief at his loss, is that need above all at this time to be united as a church family. And so I think it's an important lesson for us that we should set aside some of those little things that niggle, those little, little criticisms that pop up and say, you know what? Actually, as the body of Jesus here, we need to be united now more than we've ever been. So what I'd like us to do is to just spend a few moments in reflection. And I wonder if we could just stand, because we're going to sing in a moment. Um, and we're going to sing a song that just reflects that um, recognition of our place before God's throne.
But before um, we do that, um, maybe we could just, um, just in the quiet, just reflect and maybe just sense God's presence and just to be bringing before the Lord if there is anything that we need to, to just lift up to him for his healing, his forgiveness, and his amazing grace, and the blood of Jesus that is able to cover every sin, every division, every hostility, every judgmental and critical attitude, that is able to bring peace, because it is through his cross that Jesus brings peace. Now just give a moment for the Holy Spirit just to just to touch us and just to bring to our minds anything that is needed. Heavenly Father, we confess before you now that we have often been judgmental over, other, over others in a way that's inhibited the growth of your kingdom and maybe put barriers up to others knowing you. We have imagined that we're better than others and judged others by standards that we too would fail to live up to. And we have too often been critical without first examining ourselves. Father, forgive. We thank you that through the cross of Jesus there is forgiveness for every sin. So for Jesus' sake and through your Holy Spirit, Help us to maintain the unity of your body in the bond of peace. Amen. Amen.